1: This is The World in Ten, bringing you a hand-picked selection of the very best journalism from the Times of London's correspondence around the globe. I'm Tom Harrigan and today I'll do my very best to try to answer these three questions. Why does Africa seem so susceptible to coups? Why are cardboard cutouts of monkeys going up on the streets of Delhi? And from Sauvignons to Zinfandels, which country actually makes... The best wine. This was the sound of people celebrating in the streets of Gabon in Central Africa this week when the president Ali Bongo was ousted in a military coup. We touched on this on Wednesday's World in 10. Now, Gabon is quite a small country, just over two million people live there. Most of them are in abject poverty, even though Gabon has massive oil and mining reserves, and they have made Ali Bongo very, very rich. The Bongo family have been in power for more than 50 years, but after claims of fraud in the latest election held under a curfew and without any international monitors allowed in, the army said they'd had enough. Mr Bongo is seemingly under house arrest at home. He released this video begging for help from the international community.
2: Sent a message to all the friends that we have all over the world to tell them to make noise, to make noise for the people here have arrested me.
1: But those calls seem to have fallen on deaf ears and the military is pressing ahead with its takeover.
2: Le Comité pour la transition et la restauration des institutions décide
1: officials announcing this weekend that they were reopening the borders and on Monday a new president an army general of course will be sworn in there have now been 10 successful coups in Africa since Robert Mugabe was overthrown as leader of Zimbabwe in 2017 so why is the continent so prone to them Dr miles Tendi an associate professor of African politics at Oxford University told us it's complicated.
2: Coups tend to occur where they've occurred before. There has to be a strong precedent. These countries that have undergone coups have a history of military coups. When coups happen, they happen for very different reasons. And even within a single country, when a coup occurs today... The reasons would like to be very different if it occurs again next week. And to understand why coups occur, you've got to understand the military politics. That's what really drives coups. So grievances of the soldiers themselves. What happens in the army? What moves the army to finally decide, you know, we're going to remove this particular authority from power? And that's difficult to get at because the militaries themselves are by nature secretive organizations. They are opaque.
1: Well, coups are also becoming big business for Russia. The Wagner Group, who we've heard so much about in recent weeks after the death of its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, in a plane crash has private armies operating in several African countries like Sudan and Mali. And that's important because it may be in Moscow's interests for coups to take place so it can expand its influence around the world. Tim Marshall, the author of a brilliant book called Prisoners of Geography, has written a piece for today's Sunday Times looking at this in detail and he warns parts of Africa are in danger of becoming what he calls a sea of unstable military dictatorships. So what about the people living under army rule? Do things get any better for them day to day once coups have happened? Here's Dr Tendi's take. Yeah, I just came
2: from Zimbabwe two days ago and it was remarkable. When you talk to the population generally, even relatives of mine who are out there, um, they will say things such as um, life was better under Robert Mugabe than it is now. That's a reflection of um, people realising the coup in 2017 didn't deliver the democratic dividend expected.
1: When any country is due to host the G20 summit of world leaders, you would expect it to make a special effort. It's India's turn next. It's been rehearsing for the dignitaries' arrival this weekend and making sure all the fountains and pot plants in the capital, Delhi, look the part. But as they speed through the streets in their motorcades, the likes of Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak might be surprised to see 2D life-size cutouts of monkeys. My World in Ten colleague Amy Gill can tell us more. Amy, just why have they got monkey cutouts?
0: Well, honestly, the short answer is to ward off other monkeys. Now, the cutouts of Langurs are a very aggressive species of monkey that live in the forests of India. And they'll be used to keep the rhesus macaques away from certain areas in the city of Delhi. The rhesus macaques have, according to Times contributor Amrit Dillon, inundated India's capital. So they go into people's homes from the balconies, they'll walk off with the fruit and the bananas on the table. They seem to be very keen on official buildings. There are a lot around Parliament and they have become a real problem. But what do you do? This was their natural habitat before the city came up. In Amrit's piece for the Times, she points out just how brazen these rhesus macaques are. And honestly, it's no wonder. People are known to feed them. And Amrit writes that a lot of Hindus, who make up about 80% of Delhi's population, give them food because they believe they're descended from Lord Hanuman, the monkey god. But it's not just cutouts going up. Amrit told us other plans the Indian government has to keep cheeky monkeys away. They've also got about 40 men who have been trained to make the sharp, high-pitched kind of sound that the langur makes. They are going to be roaming around the city too, around the G20 venues, making that sound in the hope that that will keep the monkeys at bay. I have no idea if any of this is going to work.
1: A year ago, one person who probably thought they would be at that G20 meeting is the former British Prime Minister Liz Truss. It's almost exactly 12 months since she took office replacing Boris Johnson, who'd been forced out in a wave of scandal. She then resigned just seven weeks later, becoming the shortest-serving UK leader in history. James Heal, who co-wrote a book about this, has a piece in today's Sunday Times magazine about those dizzying 45 days, which included high-profile sackings, a market-crashing financial plan and an event that truly brought Britain to a standstill. He told us it was still difficult to get his head around how things changed so fast. I think I was talking to one advisor on the day she resigned, going for a walk around St. James's Park, looking at some pelicans and them turning to me and just saying it was hubris, hubris followed by nemesis, and that is exactly what happened. And watching the kind of expectations being dashed in real time, unfolding in a matter of weeks, was really quite a sight to see it really is a fascinating read from james who has some of the best contacts at westminster see for yourself with a times digital subscription that will also incidentally give you access to an exclusive extract from the new autobiography by danny cipriani once the poster boy for the england rugby union squad Enormous team fallouts, strip club visits and the death of a close friend. Danny talks very candidly about them all on the Times website and app. When I was a student, I spent a year living in Paris on a shoestring. So the only wine I got to drink was the stuff on the bottom shelf of the supermarket round the corner. Let's just say it did the job while being cost-effective. France has, of course, historically been home to the world's finest wines, but the country has been slipping down the rankings in recent times. In fact, in this year's Decanter World Wine Awards, the biggest international wine competition, Australia came out on top. But one person's tipple will topple someone else, of course. So how can we really prove which countries is the best? Well, there's an app for that, or at least the artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT. The French newspaper Le Figaro, which has a long history of wine recommendations asked it to settle the argument. And the Times contributor in Paris, David Chazan, told us how it did it. The chatbot obviously can't taste wines, but it can draw on vast quantities of text data to understand and analyse the flavour profiles of wines and to take expert opinions into account. Chat GPT came back and said that the world's best wine is French. So Le Figaro seized on this and said the chatbot is right, and it added it wouldn't have the audacity to assert that the world's best wine could be anything other than. French. Now, in case you were wondering, ChatGPT gave the top spot to a claret from Bordeaux, a wine from Burgundy was second. The bot itself insists it's free from bias and opinion, and unlike human experts, doesn't have to worry about palate sensitivity. Not something I'm worried much about either. I'm off to the bar, and The World in 10 is back tomorrow.